our new sermon series on Don't Be a Snob, because there are a lot of snobs on that TV show. Um, speaking of snobs, um, I heard a story about this guy from Texas who went to England, and he ran into a farmer. He was a farmer. The Texan was a rancher farmer, and he ran into this English farmer, and he said, hey, buddy, how big's your farm here? And the Englishman, in his proper dialect, his proper uh, voice, his proper English, he said, 35 acres. My, uh, my farm's about 35 acres. He goes, 35 acres? Man, let me tell you about my farm. <clears throat> I get up in the morning at 5 o'clock, get in my truck, start driving, and at noon, I'm still on my farm. I have lunch. I take my time. I get back in my truck. I drive to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm still on my farm. I'm still driving on my farm. What do you think about that? And that Englishman said, yes, I once had a truck like that. <laughs> Some of y'all get that going home. We are so glad that you're here at the bridge today. You know, it just wouldn't be the bridge if Pastor Farrell didn't tell a corny joke. Amen. Um, I want us to think in the beginning of the message today about the attributes of God. The attributes of God. I'm going to list a few of those. You know, these are the elements of his nature. Who is God? These are the characteristics of God. When you think about God, you think about these things. And I just made a little list. We could go on and on and on with the list, but I just mentioned a few of them. One of the attributes of God is his holiness. His holiness. Do you remember the command of God about holiness to us? He said, be holy for what? I am holy. His justice. His wisdom. Here's a big theological term for you if you want to um, impress your friends at lunch today. If you want to be a snob at lunch today, uh, you can use this word. Omnipotence. That means all-powerful. Omniscience, that means all-knowing. Omnipresent, that means he's everywhere all the time. You hear theologians talk about the immutability of God, and certainly that could be a sermon series in itself, but it basically means he never changes. He's always the same. The eternality of God, he always has been, he is, and he always will be. The sovereignty of God, which goes back to the omnipotence, all-powerful, above all things. He is sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords. These are the attributes of God. When we think about the attributes of God, we think of his immeasurable love. We think of his grace. We think of his mercy. We think of the faithfulness of God. And for our good, we think about all those things, but we also think about his goodness to us. Can we just say here at the bridge today, we serve a good God. He is good to us. That is one of his attributes. Amen. Now you could take your Bible and you could sit down this afternoon and go on and on and on and you could list many more wonderful attributes of God and you could email them to me and say, Pastor, what about this one? And what about this one? And Pastor, you didn't mention this one because our God is always um, a, 
a person, a power we can learn from. Our knowledge of him never ends. It is always expanding as we seek him, as we grow, as we develop in our walk with him. We come to understand more and more about him. But there's another attribute of God that we don't talk about very often, but the Bible, the scriptures, talk about it all the time, and it is the attribute we're going to investigate in this sermon series, and it is the impartiality of God. Our God is impartial. He is absolutely, totally, altogether impartial in dealing with all people, and that means He is totally unlike us. Because we're very partial. We're very partial and we're biased in our dealings with people, even Christians, even those of us who serve the Lord. We tend to put everyone in some kind of category, either higher than a person or lower than another person, and our uh, putting them in categories may have to do with their looks. We may look at a person who's easy to look at and put them in a category, We may look at a person's wardrobe or the car they drive. We're guilty of looking at the house they live in. We're guilty of looking at skin color and social status. And when we find a person with a great personality, we put him in one category. When we find a shy person who maybe doesn't have such an outgoing or friendly personality, we judge them and put them in another category and on and on we could go. But with God, oh, what a wonderful truth to know that with God, all of those man-made categories collectively and individually mean absolutely nothing. Those categories mean nothing to Him. They are of no significance to God whatsoever. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because I know that if our God looked at people and judged the way we do, I would have gotten left out. Many of you would have gotten left out. Let's go to the Word of God. We'll begin in the Old Testament. Uh, by the way, let me go back to the screen, guys, about the, um, uh, yeah, there you go. If you're going to put something on, um, on social media, there's our hashtag, don't be a snob. If you want sermon notes, whatever you want to communicate, use that email address right there. Thanks, guys, so much. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17. For the Lord your God. Who wrote Deuteronomy? Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are called the what? Pentateuch. Very good, students. Very good. All, all two of you. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Amplified Bible. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. Everybody say amen. And the Lord of lords. Oh, we're going to be here a long time today. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. Here it comes. Who does not show partiality. Amen. That means he doesn't play favorites. Oh, what a truth about God. What I tell you guys. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus or you're here today and you're kind of looking into this whole God, church, Bible, Jesus thing and you don't know if you believe it yet or not, let me tell you, that right there is huge for you. 
That's huge for you. He's not partial. I'm so glad he's not partial. He doesn't play favorites, nor can you pay him to play favorites. Do y'all know we live in a world where you can pay people to play favorites? You can't pay God to play favorites. This is what was interesting to me about this. Moses here wants to say, wants to communicate, wants to teach that God is above all other gods, that he is unique unto himself. There is none like him. You know, the Bible says uh, about Jesus in uh, John 3, 16, the only begotten, the only begotten, it means the unique son of God. God is unique in every way. Moses is trying to communicate the uniqueness of God because, of course, you know idolatry, and we have forms of idolatry today, even in America. Uh, they're not necessarily statues of people, but they often are covered with chrome and brass and silver and gold and things of that nature. But he's talking to these folks about idolatry. He says, I want you to understand, if you're not serving the true God, then you're not serving the God who is God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, the greatest, the mightiest. You're not serving the right one. There is only one true God. There's only one God that you can serve that will change your life for eternity. He's trying to communicate that to them. And he calls him, again, Lord of lords, greater, mightier, more awesome than any other. And he expresses it. I think this is powerful and interesting that he expresses it by emphasizing his attribute, God's attribute of being impartial. Because when you study idol gods and we study false gods and we study the theology behind false gods, many of them could be bought off. Many of them could be paid off. Many of them could be bribed. That's why he puts this in this verse, is that there was a teaching that they could be bribed. Now, what you find out as you dig into that, and it should be no surprise, is that the spiritual leaders of that movement or that idol theology made it that way so they could be bought off. Because how are you going to pay off a God? you got to give the money. you got to give the thing. you got to do the favor for the leader. So it was all around the head of those false religions, it being about them getting more. That attribute of impartiality sets God far beyond any man or any false God conjured up in the mind of a man. And then I want you to go to that great Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verse 9. Malachi. Don't write that down and go to Bojangles and go, let me tell you what I learned at church today. I had no idea there's an Italian prophet. Don't do that. Because they will look at you and go, you must go to the bridge. <laughs> Malachi chapter 2, verse 9. Everybody with me? Amen. And this is God speaking through his prophet, and he's speaking to the spiritual leaders here. He's speaking to the priest here. He says, I want to tell you, priest, that you got to be careful that you're not fav uh, playing favorites with people. He says, so I, God, this is Malachi speaking to the leaders, speaking to the priest. So I, God, have also made you despised and abased before the people, just as, here it comes, you are not keeping my ways because his ways are to be impartial, but are sowing, come on, partiality, he says to people, in your administration of the law. So God is not only about being impartial, but when we 
are impartial. He will call us out. He will call us out. And then we go to the New Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 10, it records Peter presenting the gospel to a Gentile. Now you guys ought to be really happy about that. Because I have a sneaky feeling, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure a majority of you are Gentiles. You go, well, what is a Gentile? <laughs> not a Jew. You're not a Jew. How many people in here today are not Jews? All right. So, well, we have more than I thought. We got more Jews here than I thought. So how many of you are glad God saves Gentiles. How many of you are glad the gospel is for Gentiles? You better be. So Peter's represent, he's uh, presenting the gospel here to a Gentile, acknowledging that God is impartial with reference to his saving grace. We could go all into how Peter really struggled with that and how that was a battle for him. And there was a big uproar in that early church about uh, some false teaching in that area by good people, and uh, Paul brought some correction there. But, but uh, Peter says that the forgiveness of God, this is what I want you to get today. Can I just say, you need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. For those of you who don't think you do, you need it worser. <laughs> Welcome to the South. You need it more. Thank God for forgiveness. And what he's teaching here is that the forgiveness of God is not just to the Jewish people, but the forgiveness of God is for us right here today at the bridge. I need forgiveness. I need grace and mercy. I need the love of God. I want you to look at verses 34 and 35. You've probably already been looking at it. Most certainly, I understand now, Peter says, I understand now that God is not one to show partiality to people as though Gentiles were excluded from God's blessing. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. But in every nation, in what? how many? Now, when the Bible says every, what it really means is exactly. But in every nation, the person who fears God and does what is right by seeking him is what? Come on. Acceptable and what? Thank God. We could just stop right there, and I'm not going to stop, but we could. We could stop right there, because I know you're like, yeah, man, that's a great stopping place. Oh, man, we're just, that was, that was the hors d'oeuvres. We're about to have the main meal now. Thank God that that's our God. That's our God. He loves you. He loves you without condition. He loves you without partiality. What a great truth about our God. Here's some other examples very quickly. In Romans 2, Paul is teaching that God is impartial in dispensing judgment. We like to talk about God being a God of love. He is a God of love, but wrapped up in that love, he is also a God of, come on, say it, judgment. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. Why is he a God of judgment? Because he's a holy God. 1 Timothy and Hebrews 5 talks about God's even-handedness in the matter of discipline. When he has to chasten or chastise his children, he is fair about that when we sin. He is impartial. He is even-handed. Ephesians 6, Paul makes it clear that God is impartial with reference to a person's profession, with reference to a person's occupation. 
God doesn't have a greater affection for or more love for or more blessings for somebody who's a manager or somebody who's a president. God doesn't have more love, more blessing, more affection for a person who carries the title of chief executive officer, CEO. He doesn't have more blessing or love or affection for a king or somebody who's a boss or somebody who's in a place of authority any more than he has for the humblest of all slaves. God sees everybody the same. God loves, blesses everyone the same. He does not determine that by their status. He does not determine it by the things we use to determine whether we're going to be nice to someone or whether we're going to be accepting of someone. What a great truth. Colossians 3.25 and Colossians 4.1 shares that truth with us as well. I could go on and on giving you many, many examples. Example after example through Scripture concerning the attribute of God as being impartial. But I want us to go to the book of James. We're going to settle down in the book of James. It's where we're going to focus during this series because here's what I love about James. He talks about partiality in the local church. He talks about this matter of partiality as it relates to us, as it relates to us right here today in this world. We don't like to admit it, but even the church, because of our humanity, because of our fallen nature, we all tend to be very partial to certain people. James says that the church is impressed by things it shouldn't be impressed by. James is calling us out. James is challenging us. If you've studied the book of James, you know that James will call you out. And the reason he would is because one reason, he's the half-brother of Jesus. So if you ever had a problem with James, he'd go, you do know I'm Jesus' half-brother. So James says the church is impressed by bank accounts. The church is impressed by cars and wardrobes. The church, sadly, is impressed by things like occupations and professions. Even jewelry, we'll see in the Word of God. We're impressed by reputations. We're impressed by degrees of education. James draws a stark contrast against the fact that God is not impressed by any of that. James is saying this to us. He's saying the things that impress the local church are of no consequence to God whatsoever in evaluating the worth of a soul. James says to God, they are non-issues. Rather, God judges our worth on the basis, listen, of the inner person, not the person on the outside. Samuel said it this way. He said, man looks on the outward appearance, and you know this verse, you should know it. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the, on the heart, the inward, yes. God is not interested in a person's wealth or wardrobe or socioeconomic status. God is not interested in any of that as any kind of measurement that would approve them or disapprove them or tell you anything about their character. On the other hand, I love this about God too. He's not disinterested in any of us because we're poor. 
He's not in it. He's not, and this one I'm really happy about, I'm about to mention. He is not disinterested in us because we don't really look so good. I'm real, are y'all happy about that one? Some of y'all ought to be really happy about that one. <laughs> so I'm preaching up here, and sometimes I just look up and I see some, huh? you know, just scary. And I go, God loves him, God loves him, God loves him. So God's not disinterested in us because we're not wearing certain clothing or we don't have a certain occupation or maybe we have a very common occupation. God is not disinterested in us because we didn't go to college. I'm not saying it's not good to go to college. I'm just saying it doesn't matter to God when it comes to his valuing you, how he sees you. He doesn't care about your reputation in the community or your social standing in the sense of having a reputation that people are in awe of you, or that nobody knows you. And we'll get into this through this series, but uh, a good place for you to be studying is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not now, because I'm preaching now, but later, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because the Bible says God chooses the nobodies to do great things so that when they do those great things, people will say there must be a God. Amen? He says, I get all the glory. When I pick a nobody and they do something magnificent, he said, I get all the glory. It's like when I'm walking through the mall at Goldsboro and I run into one of my old high school buddies and he goes, Farrell Hardison, yeah, man, how you doing? He goes, what are you doing now? I'm the pastor of the bridge and I can see it in his face. There is a God there is a God, because he knew me in high school. Thank God for that. Who's happy about that? You should be, because I know some of you people. God looks on the heart. I love this. Listen to this. God doesn't snub you because of what you lack, and neither is he impressed because of your status or wealth. God impartial absolutely totally altogether impartial let's go to the book of James let's go to chapter 2 let's read through uh, verses 1 through 10 now this will be the only time in this series that we read all 10 verses at one time so I want you to follow along with me James wants us to simply get this that as Christians we are to be like our God now we have established the fact that God is impartial what James is going to tell us is that because he's impartial you are to be what like him therefore you are to be impartial Everybody say, help me, Jesus, because we need that help. We need it. I mean, I do it too, man. I meet people I've never seen before, and maybe they're a little different, you know, or they talk a little different or act a little different. You know, people, you know, talk with like a northern accent or, you know, like foreigners, you know. Maybe somebody wears their hair differently or somebody just is different, and, and you want to make a judgment. <laughs> I do that. I do that. I'm usually right. No, not, not usually. Not usually, but I do that. And James is saying, don't do that. He's saying, as Christians, be like our God. Demonstrate these same characteristics of impartiality in your life. So let's go. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 1. My fellow believers, who is he talking to? Talking to believers. talking to Christians. Now, let me just tell you, that this, one of the things that says to us is that God doesn't expect what we're about to say here. He doesn't expect it from a person who doesn't have a personal relationship with him. He doesn't expect it from people who 
aren't believers. Unbelievers, when I was an unbeliever, I acted like an unbeliever. I've acted like an unbeliever sometimes since I became a believer, but I'm growing out of that, and I'm grow- who's growing? Anybody growing? But he's saying, this is an expectation of those of you who are my children. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people. This is the Amplified, so it's amplifying here. Toward people, which means show no favoritism. No prejudice. Come on, what's this last one? No snobbery. You knew robbery was a sin. I'm telling you, snobbery is a sin. Let's go on to verse 2. For if a man comes into your meeting place, boy, that's getting right where we're at, isn't it? Bridge, if a visitor comes in and your first impression is, don't judge that person. For if a man comes into your meeting place, and in that context of that day, synagogue where Christians were allowed to meet, and he's wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes into your church, into your meeting place, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in this good seat. And then you tell the poor man, hey, you stand over there against the wall or you sit down here by the footstool of the, and we'll talk about what all that means in depth later in the series, but you sit over here on the floor by the rich guy. Verse 4, have you not discriminated If you do that bridge, have you not discriminated among yourselves? And have you not taken my job? And have you not become judges? But your motives aren't like my motives, God says. Your motives are what? Wrong motives. Who's he talking to again? Not talking to that unbeliever out there. He's not talking to that person who hasn't been redeemed, that person who hasn't been converted. He's talking to converted people. Verse 5, listen. My beloved, here it comes, my beloved what? Brothers and sisters, fellow Christians. Has not God chosen the poor? And that goes back to that 1 Corinthians passage. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and as believers to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to how many? All those who love him. Let's go on. But you, in contrast have dishonored the poor man. Boy, he's calling this church out. Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit you and personally drag you into the courts of law? Now, let me, let me just talk about that just a minute. When you, when you are studying a passage of Scripture and you're, you're learning how to get all the meaning you can out of it and get the correct meaning in the correct context, context You ask what it means then. When you're reading that, so when you read this, you ask, what did it mean then? So that question means a lot right there. Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit? There was a lot of stuff going on right then at that time that made that question come out, okay? And we know in our day, too, that a lot of times the people in power, the people who hold the purse strings, do often uh, take advantage of those of us who don't have that power. But in that day, there was a very particular um, practice going on, and we'll talk about that more in the series. So when you're studying a passage, you say, what, what did it mean then? You've got to understand that, or you're going to take a 
scripture out of context in it, you'll be understanding it or even explaining it or teaching it in the wrong way. So you ask, what did it mean then? What does it mean now? How does it apply to now? And then what does it mean to me personally? What is God saying to me out of that passage? Okay? All right? So verse 7. Do they not, do they not the, these rich people who have power, who are taking advantage of the, of the poor, taking advantage of the people who are not on the same socioeconomic uh, level they are, do they not blaspheme the precious name of Christ by which you are called? If, however... You are genuinely, sincerely fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. And what is that? And this is all through the Bible. Jesus said it. You shall what? Everybody read the yellow. You shall love your as yourself. That is, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit, you are doing now, the Bible talks about wrong motives and then turns right around and says, when you do it this way, you're not doing it wrong, you're doing it well. Okay? All right, next, next slide. But if you show partiality, Bridge, Farrell Hardison, Jim Wall, if you show partiality, Farrell, if you show prejudice, if you show favoritism, then Farrell, I would uh, just kind of water this down for you, but I think I'm just going to go ahead and call it what it is. You are committing sin. Thank you guys for saying that so strong. I thought I was going to hear. It's a sin. And are convicted by the law, word of God, as offenders. For whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of breaking all of it. And we will dig into all that more as we go along. Here's the bottom line I want to leave with you today. And that is that God is not prejudiced and he forbids us to be prejudiced. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't have to like that, but that's God's word. That's God's word to us. Let's go back to James 2 and 1 and go back over that again. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people, showing no favoritism, Pharaoh, no prejudice bridge, no snobbery in your church. Love everybody. That word partiality is a combination of a noun and a verb in the Greek. I love what it means. It means don't lay hold of a person's face. Have you ever wanted to lay hold of a person? That's out of context. Let me just tell you, that's out of context. It means don't look on their face and go, because of the outward part, of, um, uh, the way that person appears outwardly, I make a judgment. They are this kind of person. Or they are this kind of person. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Again, we quoted this earlier, but I wanted to give it to you. Uh, give you the reference as well. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And of course, we know this is in the choosing of King David uh, to be the king. The word prejudice comes from the word prejudge. You are prejudiced when you prejudge. Nothing damages the reputation of the local church and more importantly, the reputation of our Lord more than a church snob. That's a great place for amen, and I'm pretty sure the sound system went out when I said that and you didn't hear me. 
So I'm going to say that again. Nothing damages the local church. Nothing will damage the bridge. Nothing, even more importantly, will damage damage the reputation of our Lord Jesus Christ than if we go out of here and be a bunch of snobs in this community. Be a bunch of Pharisee snobs. Jesus is saying, or James is saying, you want to talk about sin? When you judge a person based on economic status, the way he's dressed, the way he looks, and then you treat him accordingly by that judgment you made by that outward appearance, then you've sinned against that person, you've sinned against God, and you've sinned against his word. We clearly read that in verse 9. Note now that this not only means that God forbids us to mistreat people we consider less valuable than ourselves, but this is going to be a little, let's, let's take it to H&L. This also means you can't fawn over and flatter people that you think are witty and wealthy and intelligent and charming or whatever. So you don't only mistreat people that you judge as being less than yourself, you also don't flatter people that you are impressed by. Amen? The human nature, that fallen nature, is notorious for just looking around at somebody and going, I like him, I don't like him, I like her, I don't like her, that person's good, that person's bad, all based on outward appearance. When we do that, we've become what the Bible calls a respecter of persons. And the Bible says that our God is not a respecter of persons. And then the Bible turns around and says, and if you are one of his followers, neither should you be a respecter of persons. Because when we are a respecter of persons, we may flatter somebody while gossiping about others. It's not based on anything characteristically or fundamentally that we know about this person. It's simply based on how they appear to us. I think I said this the other day, but let me say it again. Flattery is when somebody says to your face what they would never say behind your back. Gossip is what somebody will say behind your back, what they would never say to your face. Get that. Both of those are wrong. Whether you're flattering and fawning over the rich and the cultured, or you're criticizing and gossiping about the poor and the underprivileged, you are wrong in the sight of God. James 2, 9 says it is a sin. And this kind of shallowness does tremendous damage to the kingdom of God when it creeps into the local church. Because when people who are out there, people who are unbelievers, when they think about, I want to see how God is, guess who they look at? They look at us. They look at us to determine who God is and how God operates and how God thinks and how God perceives. They look at us. The purpose of the book of James as a whole is to lay out a series of tests to determine if our faith is dead or alive. James calls on individual believers and he calls on the church as a whole to conduct a thorough examination. Let the Holy Spirit conduct a thorough examination in your life to determine if you're a genuine Christian. We talked about that in the doubt series. 
and to determine not only if you're a genuine Christian, but if you are a healthy Christian, if you are a Christian. The first test, James says, is trials. When trials come, how you react to those will tell us who you are, where you are spiritually. Temptation. How you react to temptation. In his book of James, in that book of James, an awesome book, a deep book, powerful book, he says how you react to trials, how you react to temptation, and how you react to the revelation of the truth. How you react when a preacher gets up, or you do a Bible study, or whatever, ever how the Word of God would come to you, when you, when you get truth, how do you react to that truth? Do you just add that to your knowledge of the truth, or does it change your behavior? Does it change your life? Does it change your perspective? Does it change how you love, how you treat people? Does your compassion level go up? Does your tendency to be judgmental go down? Because reacting to the Word of God correctly will cause that. And then he says there's a fourth test for us, and that's the one we're talking about here. Do you treat people equally? Do you treat people equally? How do you react to the poor? How do you react to the needy? And do you show favoritism based on the color of a person's skin? Do you show favoritism based on the social status of a person because you know they have a lot of money or their outward appearance? Are you prejudiced? He's calling us out. He's calling me out. He's calling every one of us out. Are you impartial? Are you biased? Are you a bigot? Are you a respecter of persons? Every trial you come across is a test. And some of you are in great trial. I've talked to you. We talk on the phone. We text back and forth. There are people in our church going through tremendous trials. I got a text from a mom and dad who, tech, who wrote me just this weekend and said, uh, our son is going through tremendous temptation." We see people who are hearing the truth and being confronted with the truth and uh, they either say, you know what, I need this in my life, or that's too strong, I can't take that. It's a test, and now we're being tested about how we treat people who intersect our lives. Our reaction will demonstrate whether or not our faith is real. How we react will demonstrate whether or not our faith is alive or dead. If we are children of God and the life of God beats in our chest then we will react in a measure because we're not God. We can't, we can't love like God, but we can come to know him and have an intimacy with him that when we have a chance to judge, when we have a chance to look at somebody and make a judgment, we can react in a measure the way God reacts. That's what I want for me. I know I can't react like God. I don't have the ability to react like God, but I want to react. I want... I want the way I look at people to at least favor. I want, it to, I want it to look like. I want it to begin to be more and more in my life as I grow that reaction to be like Jesus, to be like God. There's so many examples in the Bible. The woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well. We could go on and on and on. The demoniac of the Gadareans how Jesus responded. <clears throat> the church I pastored before I came here was in Cary, North Carolina. And I hope they're not watching online because I'm going to tell you one of the things I faced in that church. I remember Millie and I had been there about three years and 
we felt a little bit like a fish out of water there. The, God had blessed the church. We had grown from 85 to about 200 in that time, and the church was growing. We were moving forward. But I remember a couple came in the church, and it was obviously a poor couple. Just you could tell. You could look at what they drove in on. You could look at the way they were dressed and tell they didn't have much. And I remember walking up to that family, and I, I say this not pinning any roses, but I personally kind of grew up like that. So it's really not hard for me when I see somebody like that to feel love for them. And so I went up to them, and I was just loving on them the way I would love on anybody. And they had little kids, they had a bunch of little kids, and, and uh, I was loving on them. And I had one of the elders of the church see that and pull me aside and say, I'm telling you, Pastor, I don't think these are the kind of people we're looking for. I told Millie that afternoon that I didn't think that church was the kind of church I was looking for. So I came to the bridge, and I found a church who loves people, but we're not perfect, are we? We're not perfect. So in this series, we want to get better. We want to get better. We want to become more like God. We're going to hear the word of the Lord. Pastor's going to hear it and get convicted. You're going to hear it and get convicted, and we're going to change, and we're going to become more loving and less judgmental. I'm telling you, the people Jesus had the most trouble with were the Pharisees, the religious people who judged everybody. The Bible says in Luke 15, that great book of the Bible that gives the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son. In the first few verses of that chapter, it says, the religious people stood away from Jesus and murmured against him. And I love this. It says the sinners drew near to him. You know why? Because they knew they'd find unconditional love. They knew they'd find no judgment. That's who we are. Come on, guys. That's who we want to be. That's who the bridge is. And we're in development. How many of you know we're always in development? We're always becoming. We haven't arrived. Some of you think you have. I want to see you in the altar this morning. <laughs> We've not arrived. We're all a work in progress. Everybody sing with me. He's still working on me. You remember that song? He's still working on me. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how many churches you've pastored. He's still working on us to make us more like him. Let's all stand together.